Welcome to the Invino Fab podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Patrice. Invino Fabulum means in wine story. And there are so many tales that need to be told about women from all walks of life and their communities, paired with wine, of course. The Invino Fab pod is a place to learn and a space to share stories about work, interests, passion projects, issues, and random wine facts. On this episode of Invino Fab, we're welcoming Etta Jacobs. She is the founder and principal of Power in the Middle, an executive coaching and training organization that specifically focuses on empowering mid-level managers and their teams. Prior to becoming an executive coach, Etta gained her corporate experience and expertise as an award-winning design executive at two Fortune 500 companies. Etta draws upon this 20 plus years in the corporate world to help our clients reach their highest potential, guiding them to build a career that is aligned with their strengths, talents, and values. Etta's clients include Novartis, Eugenius Bio, and Harvard Business School's Executive Ed program. She is on the board of Women in the Enterprise of Science and Technology, West, and she holds a Master's of Organizational Psychology and is a certified coach through the International Coach Federation, the ICF. Etta Jacobs earned her MA and, and her graduate certificate in executive coaching from William James College, and she has a BFA from Syracuse University. I didn't get to participate in this interview, but I really did enjoy learning about her career transitions and how she helps and coaches others through their own career journeys. I have no doubt that many of our Invino Fab listeners will enjoy this episode and probably could uh, do with hearing a bit about this journey and transition for their own career prospects in 2020. Enjoy the episode. So, Etta, thanks for joining us today. To start with, um, you know, beyond the introduction that you offered us in your bio, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your business and kind of how you got started? So, it's first of all, thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here. It's interesting. I was listening to one of the earlier podcasts on career transitions, and I, a few years ago, made a huge transition. Um, I have a BFA. I started off my career as an illustrator realized as an extrovert, that was a terrible way to make a living sitting home alone, ended up becoming a graphic designer. That wasn't hard enough. So I had to go into uh, the educational publishing space. And for over 20 years, was a design director in educational publishing, otherwise known as textbooks. And I loved it until I didn't. Um, I loved it because my editorial colleagues were teachers and the designers were all committed to this work and it was a great collaborative challenge. And then the, as everyone knows, textbooks are not just textbooks anymore. Most of the information is now created digitally, but the business model was created for just textbooks. So the customers are expecting for the same price they paid for a textbook, they now need and expect huge amount of digital product for the same price, but you have two teams. Anyway, so the educational publishing world is working on its business model. So probably too much information there. Anyway, the bigger issue for me was I love the thing I loved about this work. It was using both sides of my brain. Not only was I being creative as a design director and having to, you know, push the envelope creatively, I was also building teams, dealing with multi million dollar budgets. And after so many years, I realized I could do it in my sleep and there was no challenge left. So, um, just through a random conversation with a friend of a friend, um, my friend's friend was an executive coach. And I said, Oh, what's that? And she told me, and just from that one conversation, I said, that's it. 
and I, in reflecting back, I realized that for much of those 20 years, I was basically coaching the managers on my team. So, um, but I didn't want to just hang out a shingle. I needed to get an education for it. So I went back to school about five years ago, um, got a graduate certificate in executive coaching. And then I realized that's not enough. And I just wanted to learn more. And I got my master's in organizational psychology. And um, so here I am as an executive coach. Um, so, I mean, that's a great story. And I think so many times when I hear people's stories, it's some sort of random encounter that jumpstarts us. Uh, I'm wondering, for many of us, we imagine or even dream about kind of leaving the corporate or business world and, and starting our own, our own business. Can you talk a little bit about whether you faced any imposter syndrome or challenges that you may have faced um, specifically as a female entrepreneur and in, in, in making that decision and really getting your business going? That's an awesome question. And so as a coach, I often coach my clients who have imposter syndrome. Interestingly, I don't think I ever had that. It's not that I'm that fabulous. It's just that's not an issue I struggle with. Also, I think partly because any major transition I've made, I make so intuitively that I know it in my bones. And I should say with the transition, and then I will talk about the challenges of being an entrepreneur. So that's a separate question. But just as an aside, I was unhappy in my work for about five years towards the end when I had fully outgrown it. But I wasn't just going to quit and I didn't know what else was next. And it wasn't as we were saying until that random weekend with the girls weekend that I figured out what I wanted. And when, and it came to me after five years of contemplating what it was that I wanted. So when it finally came to me, I was so certain there was no doubt. And then when I realized I need to go back and get my master's, there was no question about that. And that's, and this is actually something I help my clients with, is that it's not just imposter syndrome that stops people. I often find, because um, I do two kinds of coaching, executive coaching and career transition coaching. And for most of my clients who come looking for a new career or a new job, there's usually some hidden assumption or limiting belief, whether it's imposter syndrome or they, they imagine, oh, I'm too old to make this change, or I don't have the money, and we just work on releasing that. So, no, I did not have imposter syndrome, and I just jumped into it. So here's the thing I offer to people. If you're going to leave the corporate world and create your own business, yes, is it wonderful? Yes, um, I am delighted every day, but it is not for the faint of heart. Um, I have spoken to many coaches, fellow coaches who also are creating their own business. I'm a one person, was a solopreneur. I have my own practice. Um, and so I took so many coaches out for coffee to learn, you know, what, are, what do I need to do to figure out how to build a business? And they all said the same thing. The first year, it's a very sad amount of money that comes in. Second year, you start to get, hit some traction Third year, it builds, and it's not really till five years out that you're really feeling successful. And I'm three and a half years in, and I'm doing great, I'm making exponential growth each year. And I could only do this because I'm married. Had 
Um, and I'm recently married. I've only been married six years um, with my sweetheart for 16. But before that, I was a single woman, happily a single woman. Um, never felt I needed a partner to help me um, make a living. Um, but when I left the corporate world, I had not saved enough money to be able to sustain myself. What is it now? Three and a half years without a second income. So if someone is not with a partner who can do a lot of heavy lifting in terms of the financial uh, support, uh, I strongly recommend either saving, I mean, several years worth to live on, um, find creative ways of living frugally. We have, we live a very good life on much, much less than we used to, and it's definitely doable. Um, or what some people do is they stay in their current job and then they start building a practice. But that's hard because there's something about when your attention is divided between your current job and your dream job, it's not the same as jumping in with both feet. So that's the biggest thing. I really, I'm not trying to be discouraging. It's just, it is when you're starting your own business, unless I suppose some people are super lucky or if you have connections in the field and you, you know, can build a client base. But for me, I completely changed careers. So I started from zero. I had zero contacts in my field. I mean, I've built them. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's not enough to just know what you want. You have to look at the financial um, risks. I think that's great advice. I mean, I, I like the idea of starting out with information interviews and, you know, LinkedIn probably could be a great place for somebody Absolutely. to people. Um, but I especially appreciate the point about saving money and the finances. And it's not just a magic switch that you suddenly have a, a business. And I imagine if you were single, um, things around like healthcare and other things would also be things people might want to think about. Oh, absolutely, especially healthcare. And again, I was married, so yeah. When I left my corporate job, I had insurance for my for my husband. So absolutely, um, I'd love to hear more about your business. Could you tell us, oh, you know, a little bit about your, your clientele and the type of work that you do and the services you offer? And if people are interested, how they can contact you? Sure. So, and it's funny. You always talk. You certainly are always talking about story. And all right, I have to tell this amazing story because it's, it feels unbelievable. Let's see, it was 2001. Um, I was living in New York, working at McGraw-Hill, single, kind of miserable in my career. And one of my best friends, uh, you know, it's two of our best girlfriends that were always crying, you know, crying in our soup about how miserable we are. And because I couldn't figure out where I wanted to go. I was a design director and I didn't want to go up the corporate ladder because you know, I needed, I love the mix of creativity and, and, and the challenges, but I didn't want to like become more of an executive anyway. So she at the time was working at the Oprah Winfrey magazine. And so she said, um, Etta, the, the Oprah magazine is sponsoring a career spa day. Would you like to go? I said, yes, let me go. I didn't even ask questions. And that's something I've learned about myself. If you ask me, do you want to? The answer is yes, before I even know what it is. And it's interesting. Some people, no matter what you ask them, they answer no. They often come around. 
anyway, so I showed up and it was, um, there were eight women, different ages, different backgrounds. And we had an exercise. It was just a one day workshop. And in this workshop, the first exercise was to imagine your ideal day at work. And so we're given about 20 minutes and we just wrote, answered these eight questions. And the first question was, what time of day is it? And I'm very visual. And so as the day progressed and I went through the questions, I had this vision of exactly what I wanted. And it had nothing to do with my current job. And so we spent the rest of the day um, working with partners, trying to figure out what steps do we need to take? You know, okay, here's your ideal day. Here's your vision. Now, how do you make it work? And um, the, the, it was a career coach who was actually leading the workshop. Her name is Rana. And so Rana was instructing us, okay, ladies, figure, it was all women in the, from the, you know, Oprah magazine, of course, it was all women. And so she said, okay, ladies, uh, work with a partner to figure out how you can make this ideal day happen in 18 months. And I kept arguing with her because I said, no, 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 this, this dream, this is for 10 years from now, because this dream had me living out in the country with a porch. I didn't have a corporate job. And she said, Etta, and this was going, like, we had this argument for five minutes and, and she was a New Yorker. So she said, Eddie, you need to just shut up. You need to <laughs> stop arguing and just do the work. And so I said, okay, fine. So did the exercise. Um, long story short, so that was April 2001. August 2001, I had moved to Boston and every single thing on the list had come true. Wow. I should back up. So that was April when I did the one day workshop, had this visualization manifested my ideal day. That was April. May, I got a call from a headhunter say, hey, do you want to go on a job interview? What do I do? I say yes to everything. That was May. I was offered the job in July and August. I had packed up everything I owned, left New York and moved into a wonderful um, house here in Watertown outside of Boston and every single thing on my list for my ideal day had come true. But as I teach my clients, it came true in a very different form. We often, I think what holds people back is they're trying to solve all the details and that's not how these changes happen. And I actually use this, these same questions. I called Rana and I said, can I use these questions? She said, yes, go ahead. And I've had several clients have major ahas and had great doors open for them. Um, because what this exercise does is it helps you get to the heart of what's really important for you. Um, and so I remember when I went back to get my coaching degree, I, of course, called Rana. I said, hey, Rana, guess what? Um, you inspired me. She said, Etta, you have to do career transition coaching. She said, um, most people go kicking and, kicking and screaming through transitions. You know, people either... Um, have a transition because suddenly they're a parent and they have to think about a new career or their spouse moves and they suddenly have to figure something out or they're laid off or something. And she said, most people don't sign up for transitions. And she said, I, I never realized this, but she was the one who said you, that I just jump into them um, and just say, yes. 
And so she said that I would be, um, since it's so easy for me, I could help people. So one branch of my practice is career transition coaching. And I love it. Um, Because as I was saying a few minutes ago, I, I was just reflecting back. So I've been doing this about four years. And I work very quickly, usually six sessions. And I just did the math the other day because I thought, wow, a lot of people come to me, either they're out of work, so they're very, um, this is very high stakes. I had one woman who had been out of work for over a year and she was getting, you know, obviously a little panicky. And I, within the six sessions, she had not only had several interviews, but got a job. She accepted, she had two offers. And I realized that for each, each one of these clients, it's this limiting belief that is holding them back. And so just through the coach, coaching process, you know, talking with them, I just listen, what is the thing that's holding them back? And then I just hold up the mirror. Um, it's not therapy. I always have to say that this is not therapy, but sometimes we go deep. And it's, it's remarkable that when you just kind of reflect back this limiting belief, that alone helps the belief just disappear it just it's like a balloon that just pops and then within days weeks they get job offers it's magic um i also do executive coaching and the heart of my business is for mid-level managers because um i realized when i was in the corporate world even though my title was executive um was design director what i really was was executive coach to the managers on my team a lot of executive coaches coach people in the C-suite, senior level, which is great. It's very important work. But I feel that the mid-level managers are a seriously underserved population. And I really have, I just like I always put my hand on my heart. I just, I really have a strong kinship with that population. Uh, one, I was mid-level. I consider like directors are also mid-level, certain VPs also. And I have found that there are similarities of the kinds of challenges, like um, especially, and I love working with new managers who are just suddenly thrown into the job with no training, no explanation. Their boss doesn't know what they're doing. People struggle with how do you delegate? I've had several clients, especially women have a hard time delegating. Men do for, it's interesting, men struggle for one reason and a lot of women, I've actually heard them say, I don't want to be a bitch. They feel that if they give work, if they assign work, that makes them, um, I'm going to use the word that they have used, that makes them into a bitch. And I said, no, 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 you can't do your job if you're not delegating. So there were those challenges and how to find your voice. What's really hard, especially in matrixed organizations, where especially mid-level managers are often on teams of other on, with other managers, so they have their own uh, people on their own team, but then they have to negotiate with other people at their same level. And how do you how do you really find your influence and your voice when you're not the boss? It's one thing if you you know ask someone on your team to do work; they know that their promotion is dependent upon <laughs> doing what you say and getting a good performance appraisal. But with your peers, they don't have to listen to you. So it's how do you develop those skills to be able to um, negotiate and become someone who can influence outcomes. 
Well, I was just going to reiterate, um, as someone who was a new manager a year and a half ago, um, I think all of those topics are extremely important and agree mid-level managers are overlooked as far as coaching, you know, internal to organizations as far as coaching goes. So I think there is a huge, huge need for that. And I have a thought on that. So first you ask, how can people get in touch? So I have two websites because, just because, um, you could check either. So the one for career transition is called Hermes Path. And that's Hermes, not like Hermes, the scarf, but spelled the same way. Um, Hermes is the Greek god of mischief, and he's the god of transitions. Mm -hmm. And I find it's a great metaphor. Um, you know, I think we need to kind of, we were talking about letting go of um, our control and our expectations. Um, I think that's another thing that pe hold people back from making big changes is the fear of the unknown. So I like the magical quality of Hermes, mm -hmm. the Hermes path. And then the other one is power in the middle. Um, and one thing, um, I have found that organizations kind of give lip service to wanting to training for their mid-level managers, but they don't have money in the budget. So you can see what companies value by following the money. So mm -hmm. companies that really value um, training, they have training budgets mm -hmm. or coaching budgets. And so I've, I'm a realist. And if I would like to support managers at that level, I need to find a model. So one model is creating um, peer coaching groups where I'm there supporting them in the beginning, kind of teaching them how to create a safe community where, um, and this would be a community of managers where, um, and it's funny, I just created this by accident when I was a design director. And when I left five years ago, I would get emails from, they happen to be all women. I don't only hire women. It just happened that the women were, it was only women on my team. And I would get emails from them after I left saying, Etta, I hope your ears are burning because we're still meeting. And they called, because I would lead a weekly meeting that mm -hmm. didn't have an agenda. I just wanted to bring all the managers together. And I'd say, okay, what are you struggling with? And then they would share ideas. Sometimes they'd share staff. Um, and after I left, they named it the safe space. I love that. Yes, I just love it. And um, because they found that was the area where the one time that they could talk about the challenges they had or some other difficult situation, and they knew they could trust each other. And it wasn't just about complaining. It was about complaining followed by, okay, now what am I going to do? Um, and I just recommended that to a client um, in a very different field. She works at the UN and she was wanting to have more influence. So we designed this, it just started, so I don't know what's going to happen, um, where she wants to create a community of her peers. Um, and how do you build trust that this, and the other challenge among peers is you're often competing for the next promotion. So how do you build community where you trust people when you're also competing with them? So how, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. By creating this community first and realizing that there's wisdom in the group mm -hmm. and that you all are more successful if you work together 
as opposed to throwing each other under the bus. Mm. Um, and then there's, and I know we'll talk about books later, but um, Amy Edmondson from Harvard um, has done a lot of work with creating uh, communities of psychological safety. Uh, now, with um, the coaching sessions and these peer groups, I know you're based in Boston, as I am. Uh, do If people want to work with you, is everything face-to-face, -face, or do you do anything remotely like via Zoom, for example? Oh, yes. I love Zoom. Um, I first started using Zoom when I was in the corporate world, and my team was all over the place. I had one person in Canada and others all across the United States, so we used Zoom. Um, I have a client in Belgium, so I don't see him face-to-face. -face. We've never met, but we see, see each other in Zoom. And even for some of my clients in Boston, we started in person, and then over time, since we had developed the relationship, it's easier doing Zoom because then they don't have to right. take a shower. You know, the old put on a, a shirt and keep your pajamas and slippers on at the bottom. So people okay. do not have to be in Boston. Okay. And you, you mentioned books. I did want to talk a little bit about any resources or books you might recommend. I wasn't sure. You mentioned two websites. Do you have resources on those websites that people can look at? Or are there um, a few, one or two books that you would recommend to people? That's a great idea. Um, I just have to say that uh, Patrice and I are friends. We are both on the board of a wonderful organization, Women in the Enterprise of Science and Technology. That's how Patrice and I met. And every time we talk, we always, Patrice always gives me these amazing ideas. Um, so yes, I, it's funny, I pulled out some books in preparation for this. So one is called, and I can send links to all of these. Okay, both read the show notes. Yep. Yeah, so one is called The Culture Map. And it's written by Erin Meyer, and she did research on the differences in how different people from different cultures approach different communication. So the one I love to give is giving feedback, because as a coach, I'm always giving workshops on how to give feedback, because people are terrified about it. And she, so this book talks about how in some cultures, giving direct feedback is just the normal thing to do. And people are actually suspicious of you if you kind of dance around it and don't give them direct feedback. Whereas in other cultures, direct feedback is considered rude and very threatening. So imagine in our current corporate life, especially here in Boston where it's so multicultural, that you have people on a team and two people are coming from the same kind of culture where they're having, I had this um, on one of our committee meetings for West, where a friend of mine, um, she and I both come from, I'm a New York City, I, I'm Jewish, I grew up in a New York City household, you can imagine the screaming and arguing that went on. In my family, that was just normal. And this friend and I were in the meeting disagreeing, and I got feedback that some of the other people were like freaking out, they thought we were fighting. So we weren't. Anyway, so the culture map is awesome for that. Um, another book that I always recommend is called Mindset by Carol Dweck. And it's about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And again, as a coach, I find that very helpful. Okay, thank you. And like I said, we'll post those um, with the show notes. 
And one question that I do want to make sure that we uh, we squeeze in, um, as you mentioned, you know, we're both on the board at West and we frequently get together for drinks and dinner and whatnot. Um, so I was wondering if you could share if you had a favorite wine or other beverage or a wine story that you might want to share. Yes, thank you. So, and I also love to cook. And I love cooking seasonally, even though I know it's terribly on trend, which just, it's, anyway, I do it even though it is any, I'm just resistant to things. If something's very trendy, I just don't want to do it anyway. So in the summer, I just have a weakness for rosés. Mm -hmm. And then once the fall comes, I just, I lose my taste for it. And in the winter, I mostly drink reds and it depends upon the meal. It could be a Pinot Noir. Um, which I love with chicken or um, just something heavier, more full-bodied. But my favorite thing when I think about alcohol is my husband and I, every night before dinner, we have martini time. And we do not drink martinis. And the reason we have it is when I was a little girl, my mother was a doctor at a time when women were not doctors. And my father had a very intense job. And I remember every night they'd both come home for dinner. And for about 20 minutes before dinner, they went into the study. My father had a lot of books. So he went in the study and they had their martinis. And they didn't get completely drunk. They each had a martini. And the girls, my sister and I, were not allowed there. And they would just check in with my parents would have the adult conversation. They would check in, chat about the day. And um, my husband and I don't have children. My husband has a child who's 30, but he doesn't live with us. So every night before dinner, we have martini time, whether we have a drink or not. There's just something lovely about, um, I think that's a big part of, of drinking. Um, it's the traditions and just getting together and sharing the time together. Oh, I love that. Um, and I was recently introduced to um, the James Bond martini, which I think is called the Vesper, if I remember correct. That would make sense. Um, and it has, instead of um, the vermouth, it has a different um, ingredient in it. And apparently the um, author of the James Bond books actually like, created this drink. Oh, awesome. I'll, I'll have to check it out. My husband occasionally makes a martini. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's great. Thank you. And um, is there any other advice that you might give to women who are thinking about starting a new career or getting into executive coaching? Um, one of the things I was thinking about, um, I know we talked a little bit about informational interviews and LinkedIn, but I was thinking about networking, which can also be hard for some women. And for men, to be fair, yeah. um, especially introverts. Um, I've coached a lot of introverts. I'm an extrovert. And one of the challenges around networking is especially introverts feel that small talk is bogus. They think it's stupid. They don't see the point. They feel phony. And it's not. There's a real purpose for it. It's a way of getting to know someone. And it seems kind of superficial because when you first meet someone, you don't know what they're interested in. So the purpose of small talk is to explore kind of poking around like, what, what do you do for work? Where do you live? And then you'll notice in the course of the conversation, suddenly you both link, you know, hit on, oh, we both love pugs or, <laughs> or 
the Patriots or you both hate the Patriots or whatever it is. And then you start bonding on that. It's also a good skill in an interview. And there've been studies in interviews that sometimes the person who gets the job is not the most qualified, but because the interviewer's brother went to the same college you did. Seriously, it's often, that's what happens. Um, I think networking, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert is the most, thank you for bringing it up, Patrice, very wise. It is the most important thing in building your business. Yes, there's online marketing. I don't know anything about that. Um, yes, there's blogging, very important. There are all these different pieces and networking is how I've gotten almost every single job. That's how I joined the board. I started going to the West events first as a, a participant. And then through being a participant, I asked to lead um, workshops as a coach. So I've led workshops. I've gotten jobs at bigger companies. Because of that, I've made friends through it. And um, you and there's been research. And if you're also looking for another job, yes, LinkedIn, of course, but People, I think, pretty much know how to use LinkedIn. Um, but there's been research that shows that if you're looking for a new job, that it's actually your, what is, the, there's a word for it, um, tenuous connections. Hmm. So like your husband's not going to be the one who's going to get you the new job. But like if you walk your dog and there's this woman down the block and you two always see each other at the dog park, she's more likely to have some connection to someone who can get you a job. And it's similar with networking. Um, just the more people you meet and, um, and yes, it's hard. I think especially for women to ask for what you need and you know, it feels kind of bold and, you know, I don't like talking about myself. People say, you know, I don't want to boast. It's not, it's not about boasting, but you need to just present, you know, talk about what you love and what you're looking for. And people generally are really very gracious and want to help. That's mm. so right. I definitely say go networking. That's great advice. And I'll just add, I know um, when I moved to Boston, one of the things I did was join meetup groups, um, primarily on a personal level to meet people. But it's actually been a great way to, they, they also have a lot of great groups that can lead to networking. So for example, that's where I found West. And there's, there, you know, there's a lot of um, skills-based, so to speak, meetup groups. So yeah. Um, that's great. Well, thank you so much um, for your time and uh, sure. chatting with us today. It was great. Thank you so much, Patrice. To catch the next episode, be sure to subscribe to InVinoFab wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at InVinoFab, and we'll always welcome comments and messages sent by tweet, private message, or email at InVinoFabulum at gmail.com. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.